All right, thanks, Tim. Well, we have a little hiatus here in our study of First Peter. Uh, we finished off with Lucas last week. Jerry Libby is going to pick up where Lucas left off next week. And so there's just a little break, but I thought that we might take the opportunity to um, look a little more closely at some of the experiences in Peter's life that influenced him unquestionably in the writing of this epistle. The epistle of First uh, Peter would have been written, I don't know exactly, but it's something like 30 to 35 years after, after the time that Peter spent with the Lord. And uh, I don't know about you, but when I think back to what was happening in my life 30 or 35 years ago, I don't remember a lot of details. And some of you here are, are saying, I wasn't around 30, 35 years ago. But for those of us who were, you know, it's, it's tough to think about things that happened then. But Peter had some very rich and vibrant experiences in his life that shaped him forever as he walked with the Lord. And this evening, I'd like to look with you at a few of those. I've got four in my mind, but we'll probably just get to one or two of them that, uh, that Peter experienced that shaped uh, how he lived and more specifically what he wrote. As we look then at some of Peter's experiences in the New Testament accounts in the Gospels, I want to read these from Peter's perspective. Think about what Peter saw what Peter experienced as, as these events took place. Maybe to start, we could turn to John's Gospel in chapter 1, first chapter of John's Gospel. And here we find Peter's first introduction to the Lord. Uh, we'll pick up in verse 40 of John chapter 1. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Here Andrew uh, uh, is mentioned as Simon Peter's brother. The name Simon Peter is inserted here, but we understand that at this point, this man was actually known as Simon, not as Peter, as we'll read in the next verse. Uh, he would have been known as Simon. He grew up as Simon. He's mentioned here as Simon Peter because John wrote this many years later, and as he was writing to people, Christians who were scattered abroad, they knew him as Peter and not as Simon. But at this point, at this point in time, when Andrew came and got his brother, he came and got his brother Simon and brought him to the Lord. As, as this man was, was a child, as he was growing up, his name was Simon. That was what his parents gave him. Simon, come in for dinner. And as he grew, he was known as, as Simon. But here, uh, Andrew finds his brother Simon and brings him and says, we have found uh, the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone, or some of you will have, which is translated Peter. Cephas is the Aramaic version of the word Peter, and uh, uh, the, the, the meaning of the, that word is a stone or a rock, as we know. So Peter introduces uh, Simon to a, a nickname, as it were, and gives him this new name, 
Peter, and Peter, it seems, and the community around him embraced this. It seems that he was happy to take on that, that nickname, called the rock or stone. Uh, so Dwayne Johnson wasn't the first one to take on that, that name. Uh, the Lord gave it to Peter many, many years ago, 2,000 years ago. And so he, he was known as Peter from this point on. I wonder if um, Simon, as he had this interaction with the Lord, wondered about this. Interesting that the Lord would call him a rock or a stone and what, what that would mean in his life. But the name took, and that's how Peter was known for many years. I want you to go back to Matthew and chapter 21. Matthew 21. So Peter walked with the disciples and with the Lord for a period of three years. And uh, became quite a leader in the group. He was the, the most prominent of the disciples as we read through the gospel accounts. Peter, the rock. Peter the stone. So in the chapter 21 of, of uh, Matthew's gospel, we, we come towards the end of the Lord's life, here in the last week of his life. And over the last week of the Lord's life, he is having a lot of interactions with the Pharisees and the scribes in the temple court. A lot of debate going on. A lot of uh, accusations being hurled. A lot of harsh words spoken. And... Uh, there is great animosity between uh, these Jewish leaders and the Lord. They don't like what he's saying. They don't like what he's doing. They're particularly perturbed that people are following him, listening to him, taking in what he has to say. They're not at all happy about it. And the Lord is not slow to condemn them. And so here in the middle of uh, chapter 21, the Lord uh, gives two parables to this group as they challenge his authority. And question why he's doing this. And I picture this group and I see Peter there. We know that Peter was present. And Peter is there looking on. Peter is absorbing all that the Lord is saying. And he's watching this interchange between the Lord and these Pharisees. And these two parables are particularly pointing the fingers at the religious leaders of the day and their rejection of Christ. And in the last one, in verses 33 to 40, the Lord speaks about a landowner who has tenants in his vineyard and he sends people to with a message to the tenants and they abuse them and then he sends his son and the tenants say this is the son let's kill him and this will be ours and of course the lord is speaking about himself here he's speaking about what the religious leaders of his nation are doing to him and that they will kill him and put him on the cross Peter observes all of this. Lord says in verse, we pick up the account of verse 41. They said to him, uh, he will destroy these wicked men miserably. And in and, and verse 42, Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? And note Jesus' quote here from Psalm 118. Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? It is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Peter would 
watch this interaction between the Lord. And he would listen to the Lord as the Lord said that the nation was rejecting the keystone, the chief stone, the cornerstone. There was Peter who was a stone, but there was one who was a greater stone. And that was the Lord himself. And Peter came to understand this. Peter listened to the Lord. And Peter, I'm sure, understood what the Lord was referring to here, that it was Christ himself who was the stone, the chief stone. The cornerstone who was rejected by the people. I'm not going to get into the details of the, the words that are used here. There's two Greek words for stone. There's lithos and there's petros, and they're both used in different accounts, but they're synonyms as they are in English, a stone or a rock, similar idea. Go back to chapter 16 a little bit earlier where Peter has another exchange with the Lord. And uh, a little bit earlier than what we read in chapter 21. And in verse 13, the Lord came into the region of Caesarea Philippi and he asked the disciples saying, who do men say that I am, that I the son of man am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, and some Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered. And here we have Simon Peter's great confession of faith in Christ. A statement of his commitment and understanding of who Jesus really was. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And now the Lord plays a little bit on Peter's name. Peter, a rock. And he says, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Now this verse, of course, is a bit of a controversial verse, because many over the years have taught that this verse says that Peter is the rock upon which the church is built. We know that, in fact, the Lord is referring to Peter's confession as being the rock upon which the church is built. It is the confession of Jesus Christ as Lord that is the basis and foundation of entry into the church of God. The church is built upon the confession of faith in Christ. If you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All right. It is Peter's confession that is the foundation of the church. Not just Peter's confession, but the confession of anyone who believes. It is the confession of Matthew, confession of Andrew. We read about his confession of Martha and of Mary their confession of faith in Christ, which is the foundation of the church. It's your confession and mine today that is the foundation of the church. We understand that and believe that. But is that what Peter understood when he heard this? 
was Peter understanding that the Lord was speaking about the confession of faith in Christ that each individual makes to get enter into the church? Or was he understanding, as many have taught through the years, that no, he was talking about Peter himself as being the foundation of the church. These, these things must have flowed through Peter's mind over a period of time. Some 30 or 35 years later, he writes about these things. He writes about the rock and the stone. Let's go to 1 Peter once again. This is 1 Peter. We'll look at chapter 2. And from verse 1 of chapter 2, Therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow by thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, and look at verse 4 in particular, coming to him, coming to him, that is to Christ, as to a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God. Peter understood that Christ was the chief stone, that Christ was the cornerstone. He had heard him quote this verse from Psalm 118, 30 or 35 years earlier, and it remained with him. It must have resonated through his mind over the years as he thought about it. Yes, Peter was a stone, but Christ was the real stone, the fundamental stone, the foundational stone. Christ was the cornerstone, rejected by men, but he was the cornerstone. <clears throat> and then he says in verse 5, And you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter saw individuals in the church as being stones, living stones, and he was but one of them. He wasn't the foundation of the church, and he knew that and understood that. But he understood that on confession of faith, these people to whom he's writing, these persecuted Christians that were dispersed around the country, should retain their faith and their confession. That the confession of their faith in Christ is the foundation of the church. It's what brings them in and causes them to be living stones in the church of God. That's what Peter understood, and that's how Peter writes. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes in him will by no means be put to shame. It is faith in Christ that is the foundation of the church. It is Christ himself who is the chief cornerstone. Peter understood this. Peter had learned this from the Lord. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, and here Peter quotes again the same words that he heard the Lord using as the Lord rebuked the leaders of the nation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Peter listened to these lessons from the Lord. He heard the Lord speak, and they were impactful in his life. And over the course of time, as he reflected on them, he brings them out again in the epistle that he writes to those so many years later. Let's look at a second example, if we would. 
Peter's name was one. But let's go to John, again, the Gospel of John, and chapter 12. Chapter 12 in John's Gospel. We often reflect on Peter's experiences at the time of the... Um, the time of uh, the betrayal of the Lord. In fact, I want to go to John 18. Let's go to John 18. We think about Peter's experiences as he denied the Lord and uh, as he watched the experiences that happened and, and how he was remorseful and how the Lord restored him. We often think about these things from Peter's perspective and, and how transformative it was in his life. But I want to think tonight a little bit of a different angle on this. I want to consider this from the standpoint of what Peter observed in the Lord as these events took place. What were his experiences? We recall that Peter was adamant that he would stand for the Lord. Luke records that he said, I'm, I'm ready to to die or to go to prison for you, Lord. And as on the night before his crucifixion, the group got up from the table and headed out to the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples determined they had two swords, and so they took them along. And apparently Peter was holding one of them as they come to the garden. And Peter stands with the Lord ready to die for him, ready to, to lay down his life for the Lord. Chapter 18, we come to the scene in the garden, John's Gospel. And as we look at these verses, think about Peter as he watches the events unfold. As we read these verses, think about two things here. One is, think about the control of the Lord over the situation as it unfolds. And think about how the Lord submitted as Peter watches these things happen. Jesus had spoken these words. He went out with his disciples, Peter included, over the book, Brook Kidron, where there was a garden, and he and his disciples, including Peter, entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. This group came meaning to do some business. They came prepared. They came armed. There was a large group of them. And they came uh, intending to take the Lord by force. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? I'm not sure what Peter would have thought about this as this, this took place. You know, as these men were in the garden, the Lord included, they knew, the Lord knew that this group was approaching, and, and the Lord could have easily, I'm sure, snuck out the back, gate 
and, and gotten away. It didn't need to be taken, humanly speaking. But rather than that, what the Lord does is the Lord went forward, it says. It's interesting to me that only in John's gospel do we see that the Lord is actually the one who initiates the contact here. It's the Lord who steps forward to meet this group because he is ultimately in control of the situation. Peter would be watching as the Lord stepped forward to meet his uh, betrayer and this little army that's come up against him to take him. The Lord stepped forward. Whom are you seeking? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. The power of the Lord's voice, the utterance of these words from the mouth of the Lord, knock this group of soldiers with their torches and their lanterns and their weapons to the ground. As the display of God's power through the Lord Jesus Christ is evident. They fall to the ground and Peter looks on. He must have marveled. He asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Again, we see the control of the Lord over this situation. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and stuck, struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Hmm. Here's Peter who had vowed that he would stand up for the Lord. And sure enough, when the time comes, that's what he's going to do. He's going to stand up and fight for the Lord. We often criticize Peter for the fact that he went on to deny the Lord. But he's the one here who steps forward to, in his mind, to defend the Lord. I don't know what was going through his mind. I'm not sure what he was thinking. He was certainly, most certainly, they would have been outnumbered. He had one sword, and I understand from the gospel text, the other gospel accounts, they had two swords, so someone else perhaps had a sword, but there was Peter going in against these officers to do business. And maybe he felt like Gideon, that he would stand up before the Midianites and take down the vast numbers. Maybe he had faith like that. I don't know. But one thing is clear that not just Peter, but the disciples as a whole were of the understanding and the impression that this Messiah, this Christ, this Lord, who they had been following three years, was going to set up a kingdom. He had told them that he was going to go to the cross, but repeatedly we read they didn't understand. They didn't get it. Maybe Peter thought, here, the revolution has started. This is the time, and he pulled out his sword. To do business, Peter would have remembered this vivid dramatic event over the years to come. 
So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? <clears throat> Peter puts the sword down. Must have been confused. What is happening? What is going on? And then the Lord reaches out and touches this servant and heals his ear. I'm sure they were baffled. Peter went on to observe as the Lord went into the temple court and, uh, and then went before the Sanhedrin, before the council, and then before Pilate. And Peter follows along at a distance, and he watches as the Lord remains silent. He watches as the Lord, the one who has gone about doing good, is treated with injustice. He observes that the Lord does not strike back, that the Lord does not denounce his accusers. He doesn't speak disparagingly to them. He doesn't revile. He does not threaten. But as he is suffering this injustice, he commits this matter strictly to the hands of his father. He is in submission, but he's not directly submitting to these soldiers who are coming to take him. Oh, he does. He submits to them. But his submission truly comes out when he says to Peter, shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me to do? Because who he is really submitting to here is the will of his father. He has come to do his father's will, and he is willing to submit. So Peter watches as these soldiers with their hands, these servants bind with ropes the hands of the Lord of Lords. He watches as the creatures lead the Creator off to be crucified on the cross. And no doubt he marvels. Peter wonders, what is going on? How can all this be? I think that over the course of days and weeks, Peter came to understand much more deeply what was going on. Just a few weeks later, we read Peter with the disciples gathered together after they had been arrested, Peter and John, and released, they get together with the believers. And he prays this, for truly your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Peter came to understand that what was happening was God's will, the will of God the Father, and that Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, was submitting, not, not submitting so much to these men, although he did that, but submitting to his Father to allow God's purposes to be fulfilled. Peter came to see that. 
Peter came to understand that. Peter came very quickly to understand that what Jesus was doing was bearing his own sins in his body on the cross. And so 30 years later, as Peter reflects upon this, he writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, about the great example that the Lord demonstrated of grace in the face of injustice. <laughs> in verse 20 of 1 Peter chapter 2, he writes, For what credit is it if, when we are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, as as the writers to whom Peter is writing were experiencing. They were suffering for their faith and for their commitment to the Lord. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, notice, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Peter relates the experiences that he lived. He reflects on the things that he observed on those hours, in those hours when the Lord went to the cross. Peter stood by and watched. It all must have sunk deeply into his mind and became ingrained in his person the experiences that Peter had with the Lord reflected in the writings that he gave here in the first epistle, Peter, and in the second, we could look at more, but our time is gone. Uh, that will do for, for now. Lord, we thank you for your word and for its richness and its power. We thank you for the lessons that we have from it. We pray that, that we might stand with Peter as we watch the Lord, in the accounts of the gospel writers, and as we see his interactions with people in the days that he lived, that the things that happened to him might be uh, reverberating in our minds as they obviously were in the mind of Peter and the other disciples. And mostly, Lord, that you would cause us to learn from them that we would be enriched by them and built up in them and strengthened in our faith as we reflect on these things. So we thank you for these lessons and ask you to continue to be with us as we continue now in prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.